Hey guys, welcome back to The Huddle, another episode that we've been trying to get for some time now. He's one of the hottest men in demand in the NBL. It's not a player, it's Justin Tatum. It's a phenomenal chat, so make sure you enjoy. Man, this is fast. Oh, these guys are good. The crowd looks great. Ian Clark and Jello Vadova and thing. I'm like, man, they got former NBA champions, not just players. So as assistant coach, I was I was definitely on the beach when nobody knew that <laughs> You know, Jason Tatum's dad was in Wollongong or in, in Australia, period. I was definitely okay. I was just a normal tall guy with tattoos and a beard. I was like, dude, dude. <laughs> I, I'm just seeing the, the culture change or something. Like I said, that's when I got into coaching. It's, it's all working out so far. Coach, appreciate your time. We've been looking forward to catching up with you for the last couple of months. Firstly, how's things with you and how's life in Illawarra? Oh, life in Illinois is good. It's good, man. Peaceful. Weather's good. Can't complain. I walked uh, minutes away from the ocean. So uh, life in uh, Illinois is good. Now just trying to finally get, you know, back on the winning track around here. So that's, uh, you know, that, that always rubs you the wrong way. But, you know, we, we're in a good spot. Well, you are in a great spot, especially since you've taken over. But the, the three losses in a row, obviously not ideal, but you've been so close to nearly winning all of them. So that is a positive. But how are you dealing with how's the team dealing with it? Uh, you know, it was just ups and up and down at times, especially when you lose a, a buzzer beater to the cans, and then uh, you expect to probably bounce back from and beat at and get a chance to compete better in Adelaide. And uh, you know, off, Brisbane was off 36 hours of double overtime from Taz, so you know that could have went any way. But you know, we just we we're in good spirits because we know from the mix from the fourth to the tenth spot, one or two games from jumping up two to three spots at any time. So we just find a way to get back on track, and uh, you know, practice has been good this week. So just ready to go into a, a, a tough spot, you know, in Perth and, and give it our, our best shot, get a win. I'm really excited to find out more in this chat about your coaching philosophy and how it all began. But I do want to just start with, you mentioned when you took over the Hawks and how you wanted to bring fun back to this team and in the organization. And I think that everyone can agree that's, that's happened tenfold and it's been amazing to witness. Losing isn't fun. Yeah. So how do you make sure that that mindset stays the same when you don't get too hard on yourselves? Because as you mentioned, double overtime game and then you have a heartbreaking buzzer beater, they are tough to swallow. Yeah, I think uh, just remind them guys that we've been on losing streaks. We had a losing, terrible losing season last year and it was creeping up to be the same thing in the beginning. And so we've been there before. We know what it feels like, but we also know what it feels like to have a four-game winning streak and to come back from 18th to beat Sydney. And like I said, about the double overtime in Taz and New Zealand. So these guys know what it feels to bounce back to, and have some wins together. So I think our morale is in a good spot. We just got to understand that, you know, nobody's laying down this time of year because everybody's fighting for the, for the same thing. So, uh, but, you know, talking to the guys and having practice, spirits has been good. You know, it's been more more locked in and more serious because they know we're going to the belly of the beast this week and uh, you know we got to find a way to get our niche back. Well, I want to ask first and foremost because I know you've played professionally and overseas, but when did, when did coaching begin for you and when you were playing, did you always know you wanted to be a coach or did it come later on in life? Definitely a little bit later, but while I was playing, I, uh, I kind of disliked all my coaches and stuff that I played for, but I, I, I got a love and passion for them now. You know, I'll call them all back and tell them I'm sorry what type of player I was, you know, for you because I definitely understand now. But, uh, no, coaching didn't really start for me until I was overseas playing in, uh, in the Holland League. And, we you know, our downtime, we were coaching, like, they have camps out here. You know, we was able to coach little league teams. And I seen how fun, how passionate the kids loving it. And, and my son, Jason, at that time was about seven years old. So 
And when I got opportunity, when I came back home, you know, I wanted to, I built programs and teams around him and we just went, you know, start forming teams like that and coaching Little League and things like that. And then probably about a couple years uh, later, I got into high school. So, I mean, it was just starting to be a passion or something. I've seen the, the change I can bring in that, you know, young men lives and family lives and how to bring just people from all around together and just enjoy winning and success and, you know, even enjoy losing because, you know, you just see the growth of your kids. Uh, and sometimes everybody understands you got to, you know, have defeat here and there. So just that, as I've been doing that the last 16 years, high school-wise, I mean, I've just grown a passion probably when I was in my downwards career uh, in playing over in Holland. So, so during that playing moments, I want to go back even further. When did you fall in love with the game of basketball? Was it really early on? Do you remember the specific moments? Yeah, it was like in eighth grade, man. I was uh, I was a late bloomer in basketball because um, I was more of a football player. I played baseball. I liked other sports. And even ran track. And so when I started to grow, uh, get taller, my knees started to hurt more. And running, uh, <laughs> you know, running track wasn't helping. And getting hit in football wasn't helping either. So, you know, somebody was like, man, let's roll the ball out to me when I was in eighth grade. And I was like, man, what you do with this thing? They just said, put in a basket. And I was more of a aggressive, you know, four type guy. Loved dunking the ball, playing defense type thing. So, um, you know, I got the passion for it in eighth grade, and I seen how it opened up opportunities for me in in the summertime. For we got AAU basketball over there, and uh, and in high school, then I found got a, a college scholarship playing, grabbing rebounds, and dunking the ball, and being a great teammate, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and, you know, I started to get that passion in eighth grade, but I also seen, uh, you know, that my skill set, you know, was able to be developed way more. And, you know, and that's what the, I kind of instilled in my son now. Uh, well, then when he was younger, like, hey, you know, instead of, you know, being a, a forceful guy like Pops was, you know, grabbing rebounds, we can be able to do multiple things, right? And so that's why I was able to start with him outside in instead of inside out like I was I was taught late. So that's, you know, my passion and love came from around that age and just blossomed and just grew and just went from there. What was the pathway like? And you said to getting a college scholarship back then, because it's different now. And obviously, your son went to one of the most prestigious schools in the world. What was it like for you? And how have things changed? And again, now that you're coaching some kids who could potentially go to the NBA, kids that might be looking to go to college, still, there's so many different unique pathways and opportunities. Yeah, man, there's so many different pathways that they are, you know, that's positive, and you know, some guys think it's negative as well. Uh, but you know, back then, you have to like, you know, pass have a high AT, ACT score. That was, uh, you know, all colleges recommended, you know, you had to take to get in there and to regain your, your scholarship. You had to have a certain GPA. Well, you still do, but you had to have a certain GPA 2.5 and higher. So it was kind of like a lot of more academic things, uh, you know, to be able to make sure you were. And then you have to be really good, right, to, to be able to have a scholarship from Stanford or Memphis or SLU or, you know, Duke and things like that to be offered a four-year scholarship. And those scholarships are year by year. So that's what a lot of people don't understand, even though say you got a four year scholarship, but you you know, there's more things that they can, you know, you can do to break those contracts and play behavior or whatever the case may be. But now it's about, you know, money, NIL, things like that. So now a young high school kid can go ask for, you know, do you have this much money to retain me or whatever? And then some, a lot of schools now, you don't even have to take the test and pass the ACT. Uh, you just got to have a certain cumulative GPA. So it's a big difference now. And like I said, a lot of plot plus, but it a lot of, gives these a lot of uh, young men, um, you know, control, which, you know, it's good and bad. Yes, some of those guys deserve what their popularity give them. But then, you know, some of them got to, you know, humble themselves, right? And then there's... You can transfer to any school when you want to now, you know, uh, right after year after year. So it's like a, you know, it's watered down here and there. But also, I guess it brings some, uh, you know, some 
some um, some good grief, some good things for families who maybe need that that income and who's worth that income. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you know it's just it's it's just different these days. But now enjoying a professional life here, um, I'm just really focused on who we recruit, right, and to play for what you know that that their value is worth, and then you know they come to work, they know what they got to do. So it's enjoying a professional career coaching is. You know, I think I get more excited than that than probably jumping into a college job. Tell me a bit about your college experience. You mentioned the NIL. What, what kind of NIL deal would Justin Tatum be looking at if, if we could fast forward and you were playing college ball right now? Oh, we, man, we're talking. I, yeah. I had bagel. I had a great bagel sit, uh, shop in Albany, New York. But I, I'm assuming <laughs> that would have been me. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I mean, if I know what I know now, then I feel I'm a lot worth a lot more, you know what I mean? But, I, <laughs> you know, so I, I think uh, I, my value will be up because, you know, but I would like to go somewhere, you know, where I really want to play for that, that school name across the chest and the coach, right? So, you know, if I still have my values or what I have now, you know, then, you know, uh, then I think I think I'd think a lot different. But, I mean, I'll definitely put a nice price tag on me. <laughs> and I'm sure well-deserved. You all defensive caliber player when you were playing. What is it about defense, I guess, that you were elite at? But also, I'm assuming you really loved being able to be that kind of defensive stopper because not everyone is built to be great defenders. And yeah. we see a lot, especially in, in the league now, in professional rankings, it takes a mindset to be able to do that. It does, man. It became a passion of mine because I was around so many offensive guys who have developed that skill from way before I started playing basketball. And then, you know, it was just like, what is your niche? I love my, my voice. I love to be vocal, even if, you know, on the sidelines, you know, I'm, I'm consistently, you know, directing or influencing or encouraging my guys to, um, you know, do their job. And that was the same type of player I was back in college. And then, you know, I'm like the physical Cali, like, you know what I mean? I want to make sure that, you know, you know that when you're playing against us that you're going to get bumped, you're going to get, you're going to get screened right, you're going to be looking out for guys. And, th- and little things like that helps you win games because it takes people's attention off of their job of guarding this person and looking out for the screen or looking out for that guy who's, you know, really aggressive on the rebounds and talking. So, and then, you know, I bring that into my team because at the end of the day, defense wins championships. Point blank period. I mean, I, I said I've never, you know, we've seen last second shots and stuff like that to go in, or we've seen one guy that, you know, offensively just, you know, put his his team on his shoulders and score a lot of points, but then he still had to uh, stop the other team from scoring more than you, right? So, you know, that's my, my, my thing with my team. Like, we're going to, I'm fine with sharing the ball and, and guys taking the shots that they're capable of making. They come in and practice every day, but I'm not fine with you not being upset when I keep with somebody in front of you or remember your, remember your you know, your tag on your position position or where you're supposed to help it or you know allowing somebody out hustle you for the rebound so those are my non-negotiables and those guys understand that and if you bring that then I'm gonna let you be the player that you're going to be right and are supposed to be for us to help us win game but if it's not having that that edge and that and that want to wield everybody's clearly not laterally the same everybody doesn't jump the highest you know and some people don't talk that much but you got to figure out what it is and give me a lot of it. You've been in, in the league and around the league for a while now, and when you've got that defensive competitiveness just w- instilled in you, as obviously you have for, for so long, yep. any other players around the league that you look at and say, if I was still playing, I'd love to go to battle with that guy because I know that he's just a defensive menace? Uh, Bull Qual is one of them. I, yeah. you know, <laughs> he's a fan favorite of mine. Uh, you know, I like, uh, I like uh, Jake... Jake uh, um, Huck Porty out there in Melbourne, mm-hmm. you know, he protects the basket. You know what I mean? I like I like him as well. And then, um, you know, they got some on, good on-ball defenders like uh, uh, PJC, Pat, uh, Cartwright down in New Zealand, really do- loves picking the ball up and turning the guys. And, you know, we got solid guys on our team. I like Juan, the way Wani 
plays his defense mm-hmm. and keep guys in front of him. And, you know, some of those, some of the guys that I, you know, I could take on my team, you know, with me to, you know, go and battle with it every day. As we record this, I should preface it by saying the Celtics are playing. So if you do have to have a gaze, if there's a, a game-winning shot on the line, let us know and we'll, we'll take a pause. No, you're all I good. Have read, <laughs> I, I have read that yeah, when you were coaching growing up and you, and you coached your son, Jason, what was that like as an experience? It was fun, man. It was fun. Uh, it was interesting. It was tough, you know, for, for him and for both of us because, you know, I'm, I, we had him at 19 years old. So, you know, I'm, by the time he's seven, you know, I'm 25, you know, and I'm still a young, passionate player and, you know, want to get my point across. So, you know, I was, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was tough and it was good for him because at the end of the day, it, it made him to where, you know, he's, you know, he feels that nothing can go wrong. Everything can go right if how you create it, right? And don't matter if it does go wrong, I'm going to be ready for the next day. We move on to the next one, but I'm going to give it my all every night. And so that's why you see a lot of his his moves, his facial expressions, and the way he wants to kind of take over the game is just because it's just kind of been instilled with him from the jump. You know, it was days that I, I fussed at him when he should have done it, and, you know, I, I gave him praise when he did do it. But I also, you know, I expect it from him, right? And so I'm not, you know, he, he had his, you know, everybody has their fan club. And, you know, I, deep down, I'm always his, his biggest fan, but I will never express, you know, my enjoyment because I, I, I expect you to do that and more, right? And so, you know, it was, it was, it was a plus and it was a plus, you know, a gift and a curse. But now that I see every 82 games and, you know, what he does in playoffs and, you know, two, three time NBA, all NBA team, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, something worked, you know, something got through and it wasn't just the, the love and passion that he has for it. He, it was the expectation of what you got to, you know, do for yourself to see where you want to go. And, um, you know, all the self-driven things that he's at now, it was just, you know, just a piece of the puzzle, how we started in the beginning. So it wasn't easy, you know what I mean? And, you know, it wasn't easy, but it's, it, it's a very, I'm a very proud dad to be able to see how I helped his development. And maybe not more so right now, but early on in his career or whether it was at Duke, was there any instances where you were watching in games or in seasons where he had those maybe rough patches and the way he came out of those to deliver where you looked back and thought, that's the thing we worked through in high school. That's what we did together to get you the way to the player you are today. Yeah, it was adversity. You know what I mean? It was times when he uh, when he, he didn't start right off at Duke because he had a toe injury in the beginning of the offseason. And when he came in, in, he was struggling as far as getting the feel for the game, the pace, because it was different from where he just came from high school. And all, you know, being number one of the number one player in the world, uh, coming into Duke and being up and down, you know, it can get to any 18-year-old kid. But uh, just the way he, you know, got in the gym after the games or, you know, found a way to watch more film on himself. Nobody had to tell him how to become, to get out of his funk. He knew that what he was in. And, you know, he's always grateful for encouraging words and people supporting him. But, you know, he know he had to put that work in. And so once he, you know, just found a way to, you know, get in his groove, it just took one game, maybe took one shot, you know, one move, one dunk, and it got his, his mojo back. So it was just things that I've seen, you know, coming up because I always challenged him during – have times or after quarters because he's always played two to three years up. He never played his age until he had to, you know, until he had to, which was, you know, summer eight, eight, uh, AU ball or something like that. But besides that, he played two to three years up and I was always critical of, you know, how he's going to get out of that situation. So he kind of knew it and the challenge, the way he challenged himself, man, is always a proud moment for me. True or false that it, I read somewhere that he was the one who kept you up to date with the coolest shoes when he was in high school. Was that was that a true story? No, I was way more hipper than him. I, he's the <laughs> he's hip because of me because he understand that you know pops was always showing had you know had everything together and he wanted well he 
definitely excelled where I'm at now. But you know, I, he found out. You know, I rubbed off on him a little bit how to keep his swagger together. But I, now I get all the cool shoes through him. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm interested. Take us through the uh, take us through the pre-college process because when you've got a potential number one pick, uh, anyone who's got a potential lottery pick going into whether it's college, we know that we talk about the pathways a little bit. How stressful is that to make sure you get the right situation for? who you know and who you believe is going to be a fantastic NBA player and what we see now. Is it tough at the time or is it kind of you, you see one and you say, okay, it's Duke and we just knew it was from the jump? Uh, it's tough to, you know, be able to be the number one player and have all every college in the world that will love for you to play for them. But a lot of those mm. schools were realistic. He's not going that far or, you know, I mean, he's, this conference is not what he wants. You know, they kind of know it, they, but they'll, they'll praise how, you know, how great of a player and person he is. But the ones who... Um, you know, definitely have a strong chance. Uh, it's, it's, it, it depends on the coaching, you know, with us. You know, the fan base is definitely going to be there. They're, they're, the colleges are going to be there after you leave there. So you got to understand what what is the reason why you want to come uh, play for those certain schools. And that's what we broke it down to. So with Duke being who, you know, Coach K and the championships and, you know, the production straight from Duke to ready to go to the league, uh, was always on the top of our mind. But then he's also, he was a homeboy, hometown kid. So he wanted to really hack St. Louis University where I played and graduated from as an option too. And, you know, he had the Kansas and the Texas and things like that. But Jason was uh, either a hometown kid or, you know, he's wanted to go somewhere where he's going to develop his skills and be able to put him on the best display. And, and we felt that Duke was that for him. And so, you know, it was kind of easy for us, but we did, had to entertain you know, so many different calls and people. But at that time, you know, as it got later in the recruiting process, they knew that, you know, they backed off and, you know, kind of respect the privacy and just had it down to the schools that he wanted. You mentioned a little bit there your, your time at, at St. Louis. If you take your mind back, could you ever have envisioned you'd be sitting here talking to me as, as a coach in the National Basketball League in Australia? Not at all. Not at all, man. No, no. You know, my, my, my dream was to be doing what he's doing, you know, playing in the league. So I never thought I was going to be coaching anybody and definitely not a professional team in Australia. So uh, I didn't even know where Australia was until one of my teammates <laughs> from um, – <laughs> From over here, came and played with us. Uh, named Andrew Latimer, he came and played for us back in my time. And so he taught us a lot about Australia and how great it is. And, you know, I still keep in touch with him to this day. So, but yeah, this is something different. How does it even arrive that you end up in, in Wollongong of all places in, in Australia? Tell us a little bit about the process that brought you out here initially. Yeah, funny thing. The owner, uh, um, Jared, is a, uh, we, we both went to the same high school, CBC High School, but he's like, he graduated four years before me, and I'm uh, really good friends with his brother. And so uh, when I got hired to coach at my alma mater uh, for the last 10 years, uh, Jared was on a process of, you know, he'd been on the board of the school. And so when I got hired and, and had success early there, we started to have, you know, build a, a relationship as far as like the way before he bought the team. And then when he bought the team, uh, you know, they had their, you know, tough year the year before the three and 25. And, you know, asked me to just come out and do some consulting to see if I can make him connections with, you know, some uh, NBA players or former NBA players that maybe want to come play in this league. So they won't have to go, you know, it won't be so difficult for them to get who they want. And, you know, he asked, invite me down in late March of 2023 came down for three weeks and I said, I'm only doing consulting. Don't ask me to do any coaching or nothing because I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine where I'm at. I'm enjoying, you know, my, you know, winning here and every year at the school and I'm going to games and watching games and stuff. So I'm okay. And uh, when I got down here, 
Um, Jared is a businessman, and you know he figured out to like say, "Hey, I'm gonna show you everything about Australia and how beautiful it is, and then I'm actually about coaching at the end." And so before I leave out, so he asked me about it before I left out. After I was wild down in Wollongong and Sydney and back and forth, I'm like, "This is just the winter time. I can't even imagine what the summertime looks yeah. like, right?" And so uh, I got home uh, back to the states. Uh, you know, I was really on my mind. The offer was there for assistant coach to come down and help. You know, the program, you know, changed directions. And so, um, you know, I, I decided to step back from coaching high school and I came down in July and I said, hey, I'm going to get my, just, you know, work on my professional, you know, coaching career, not knowing that I'm going to be the head coach or be put in this position. And two months later, I'm talking to you as a head coach. And, uh, you know, we're having some success, need to have more. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's it's been great. It's been great. I can imagine it is still a tough decision to make because you mentioned coaching the high school, your resume speaks for itself and, and the legacy that you've created there, but then to, to kind of pack all that up at that time and, and move overseas and yes, you had a little bit of a taste, but it's still relatively unknown, the entire landscape of, of living in Australia. You mentioned the different seasons, but the league as a whole, what was the whole thought process like? Was it a no-brainer in the end or did it take a bit of convincing? Oh, it took a lot of convincing. It took a lot of convincing. Uh, I watched a lot of... Uh, you know, different games off um, what we have, the huddle thing and the, um, you know, synergy and stuff like that, just to see what the league is like. And I'm like, man, this is fast. Oh, these guys are good. The crowd looks great. Like, you know, it was things that was enticing me to come over and, you know, the, you know some of the players that's been over here, like Ian Clark and Della Vadova and thing. I'm like, man, they got former NBA champions, not just players. So, uh, you know, just got a chance. That, that wowed me. And then once again, like I said, you know, just being able to travel to New Zealand and Perth and twice and stuff like that, I'm like, you know, that, I need to step out of my boundaries and, you know, be able to experience some of these things and, you know, and get paid doing it. And, and so I was like, and that's something that I love. And so, like, you know, I mean, it was it, it took some convincing, but, you know, the thing was I wasn't it wasn't a bad. It was only like six or seven months. Some some season euros like 11 months, you know, what I mean, and that's tough to do all the way in Russia or somewhere. I mean, that's nothing. You know, I want to do that. So down here in Australia, beautiful country, man, great people, great league. Uh, you know, it got a chance to enhance my, my, my skills as a coach professionally now. That's on my resume and even, you know, step the W more as, as a head coach. So it's, it's all working out so far. I mean, you've got lucky to land in what was my favorite away trip. There's nothing better than you go in there, you play the next morning before we flew out, you're in the beach doing recovery. It is a beautiful part of Australia. So what yeah. do you get up to when you're not coaching? Or are you always watching film or you like to stroll the beach? What do you get up to? When I was an assistant coach, I hit the beach all the time. You know what I mean? I watch, <laughs> watch a little film, but now it's the head. Uh, uh, and then now and being highlighted of, you know, who my son is and et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of tough to like enjoy yourself out there because I mean, the people enjoy winning. They enjoy knowing what to attend their neighborhood. And so I'm more of a, just a, a, a quiet person, especially I'm out here by myself and, you know, I got games to watch. I got film to do. So I'd normally be, you know, in the house or watching off my balcony. But sometimes one of my days off, I, I like the people watch too. So I'll drive down to Sydney just to take that, you know, the hour and a half, just, reset button things like that but as assistant coach I was I was definitely on the beach where nobody knew that you know Jason Tatum dad was in Wollongong or in, in Australia period I was definitely okay I was just a normal tall guy with tattoos and a beard I was like dude, dude, dude. now you know you got to see my son jersey been worn more at the games around even on the road like sign this take this it's beautiful I don't get me wrong I love it but now you know it's just uh but that's you know I'm glad I have the option to be able to hit the beach and the golf uh the golf course whenever I want to but mostly I'm a homebody 
I didn't know you were a man on the link, so we, do we have to kind of set something up? You don't mind getting out on the course? Yeah, I love it. Me and Gary get on the course all the time. So, uh, you know, we do it We do it by once or twice a week, anyway, one time. And so, but, you know, since these doubleheaders has been slowed down a little bit, but we uh, I get out there all the time. Club's ready to go. Let me know. Tell us a little bit about what the most rewarding thing is for you as you sit here right now. You've, you've taken over this team, and, and I keep saying it on, on broadcast, but the vibe, the energy around the whole organization is, yep. is night and day. It seems like a beautiful, fun place to to be a part of. What's the most rewarding thing for you? We know there's a lot of time left in this season, but what is it? To see that come all together, like a lot of those things you just said, that community that when I first came in the first games, it was like, you know, maybe 2,200 people and the last couple games have been over around my four. And then, you know, like I said, the they're just the, the organization now, people are more seeing they, that we can take a loss here and there, but as long as it's a competitive loss and as long as our guys are giving it their all and having a chance to win here and there, people may feel more satisfied and great coming to work and just seeing all the you know the happiness and the smiles uh from the organization but also seeing the players enjoy what they do and and at the end result you know have a a winning streak here and there or being a game that you know found out what our mistakes was to win it next time and you know not just sit up here and mope around or just come to a dull practice so I, I'm just seeing the the culture change is something like I said that's when I got into coaching and you know from there and it was changing you know young men lives and having parents see their sons go to have a scholarship opportunity here is bringing you know professional athletes to having the same result without you know minus some of the other things but it's just it's just great to see that you know when the when you do have a big win versus Perth and you come outside the streets are full of people walking around who just left the game and and I like man it wasn't like that when I you know when I first got here so just seeing the the transition in a happy place and what this, you know, the longest tenured program deserves, right? So I think it's been, so I think they deserve that and they know what team they get in day out, day in, year in and year out. They just want somebody to compete and come cheer about it and hold their head up high for and we're giving that to them right now. You mentioned when you were looking back at old games and you saw the NBA champions running around, the fans and everything. What became so enticing about this league, and we still see it now, and, and again, we keep talking about it, it's, it's the second best league in the world, but it becomes a destination for NBA players wanting to get back there, the next stars, all of that. Again, if you had to pitch it to somebody, it seems like it wouldn't be that hard of a pitch. No, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. I mean, you can sell the country on its own and how you, know, how you love to get up to work every day. You don't have to really heat your car up uh, to drive somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can just jump in some shorts and go work out. That's more... Uh, enthused them like you're looking out and be a dull city but, but it, the, uh, the country is great but the the league of its own is like like there's no slouches in this league like, I don't care who you're playing like you know you see what Adelaide is doing right now uh, minus a couple players like you know day in and day out you're going to get great competition uh, from each team no matter what and then the, you know just the the vibe of the NBL of how it's marketing you know its, it's players and what's going on and and how they try to you know saying make sure they have they simulate the the league as much as possible. You know, what I mean, as far as the player players uh, association and as far as uh, you know, everybody's involved to a certain extent. So, uh, you know, I did, and you know, just having being able to have multiple imports. If you are American, you will have you know some people who can relate to you. You know, from where you're from. So it won't be just you and uh, ten and eleven Australians or Sudanese or whatever. You know, guys from all over. So. You know, it's, it's multiple ways where I can pitch this league and, and, and then also, once again, letting the guys who's played in before and where they came from. And the main thing you can promote from this league that is not as long as the Euro League, right? So if you play well for the six, seven months and uh, the Celtics want you to come play for them the next, you know, two to three months for the, for the run and because you, you've been playing well, 
you know, you can make a roster spot. You don't always have to come from the G League. So it's uh, there's multiple things that you can promote this league for. Got a couple questions left for you. I want to throw it out there. What kind of pitch do you make? Not so much pitch, but what kind of players do you like to recruit? Are you looking at people first? Are you looking at their characteristics or traits as players? Because we see different coaches and different makeup of teams in the NBA and around the world. Um, I like open-minded, great human beings. Like, you know what I mean? You don't always have to, you know, it's something in your life that you do that's special for somebody else, you know, and it's got to be outside of basketball. If you volunteer yourself to shelter sections or if you do something at church or, you you know, you visit your grandma or something, there's something that you, you do outside of basketball that makes you a great person. And that's kind of like my first thing that I, you know, as I see your talent, because that's the first thing that's going to attract me to you. But as I have a conversation, if you tell me, yeah, coach, every Sunday, you know what I mean? I go, you know, give clothes to the, you know, to the thrift store or something like that. It could be something that small, right? But you're, you're trying to find a way to do, have a better outlet besides basketball and it's helping somebody else's life. Or, and that lets me know what type of person you are because you're easy now to be able to mold into a group of other guys similar than you outside of basketball but still have that competitive edge. And so if I can get those type of players along with their talent skills uh, and, and knowing that I'm going to push buttons and at the end of the day it's about you know making you a better person than a player and you accept it because nothing I you know say I'm taking it to you personally like I'm going to dislike you the next day. I don't care if you, you miss like three free throws like Hung Jong did in, in Taz. <laughs> I, I came in and gave him a hug and say, hey, even though I fussed at you in the huddle, you know, let's go out to dinner the next day. It is what it is, basketball. So, and you know, as long as my players can understand that, where I'm coming from and uh, and who they are, is mostly probably, like I said, it's the character first, but the talent, you know, that you have makes me know what the how, who your character is. Well, I'll let you get back to watch the Celtics game. And I do want to just end on this because we saw the press conference when you took over and Jason had some really nice things to say about you taking over as the head coach. And then you went on all these winning streaks and everything. What was it like, the conversations with him after uh, becoming the head coach of the Hawks and really turning things around in such a short amount of time? Well, he was clearly he was happy for me. He was like, man, yep. He's talking about, do you fuss at him? I said, man, y'all too grown for me to fuss at him. So we asked, like, you know, we joke about little things that, you know, how I am as a high school coach or with him back in. And I said, no, nah, it's much different. But, I mean, I, and, you know, I asked him questions of how, you know, his head coach approached him, a little things that, you know, maybe give me, little, you know, little pointers here and there. And so, um, but, no, he's definitely happy for me. It was good. It was good conversation. He knows I'm a competitive person. So he knows that then they say, yeah, you're going to find a way. You know what I mean? If you got them, if they listen to you, they, you know what I mean? They, you're going to find a way because I'm with them. I, I'm with them the whole 40 minutes, right? And, you know, the only time I sit down, I when I give my speeches before the games, you know, I, I, I have a seat because they're like, yep, this is the only time he's going to sit down. So he might as well calmly talk about it because I'm with my guys the whole time and I want them to feel my presence uh, while with them and so no he was ecstatic about it and you know hopefully that you know we get back on that winning streak and get in the playoffs like them because we always kind of challenge each other I said hey you win a chip I win a chip you get in the playoffs I get in the playoffs so we always tip and tat and you know right now I gotta I gotta catch up with them <laughs> well we don't know what's going to happen next but I think I along with nearly every NBL fan hopes that we can see you around here for a whole lot longer and again it just seems that Inevitable, okay, then let's just get a Boston Celtics, Illawarra Hawks preseason game at some point. I mean, it seems to work. Bring them down here. If they want to play down here, it'd be great. Yeah, I, I, I doubt we can get them down here, but if I, get that, <laughs> if I get that in the mix, if I'm back, I'm definitely pushing for it, you know what I mean? So we, we got the right connections. I'd love to have that, me and him on the sideline, and that could make it work that way. I'd love to do it. I'll pull some strings, don't worry about it. Coach, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And again, we love what you're doing, and good luck the rest of the season and beyond. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me.